Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Welcome. Sit over there. Just hang out for a minute, will you? Today's Thursday. If you're listening to this when it comes out and tonight, October 10th, I'll be at the Miriam Theater in Philadelphia tonight. Tomorrow, Friday, October 11th, I'm at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And Saturday, October 12th, I'm at the Schubert Theater in Boston for two shows. So there, there's a few tickets for all those. I, you know, the second show in Boston, you should come to that even if you don't live there. Uh, on Friday, October 18th, I'll be at the James K. Polk Theater in Nashville. Saturday, October 19th at the Tabernacle in Atlanta. And Saturday, October 26th at the Masonic in San Francisco. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for tickets. On the show today, I'm going to talk to Jackie Tone. Jackie Tone is uh, Melrose on Glow. She works with me on that show. Uh, she's on, you know, she, you can watch her in all three seasons of Glow. She's also a stand-up comedian. I did go to the premiere of El Camino, which is the Breaking Bad movie. Just by coincidence, I've been watching all of the Breaking Bads. And I just finished them last week. And I got invited, I guess because I'm on a Netflix show, uh, to the premiere. And I, and I rarely go to those things, but I'm like, I want to see that movie. So I got, uh, I said, yeah, I'll go. And they sent a car, which is exciting. I was never one of those people that would take the cars that they sent. I'm like, I'll just drive. I mean, I have a car. I live in LA. What do I need a car service for? Because it's fucking great. How's that for a reason? They just pick me up and then they'll take me home and I'll have to find parking in Westwood and wonder, you know, how do I get into the, where, where are my tickets? Where am I? Can someone help me amidst the chaos? Drove right up. But then you got to like, you know, you have a choice. Do I want to take pictures? Do I want them to take pictures of me on the red carpet? Because part of me is sort of like, it's not my movie. I'm not, you know, I'm not in it. Why would they want pictures of me? But then you see pictures of like, hey, look, Mark Marin came to the movie. Why not have a couple of those pictures out there? Why is Mark Marin in here? He, he went to that thing, to the cool thing with the cool people. I dressed down a little bit, though, because I knew in my heart, like, this is not my night. So just wear a denim shirt. Why am I telling you this? It's so stupid, isn't it? Jeez, man. 
It was fun though. So I go, I walk the carpet, and I got an email from some woman. You know, we said I yelled hi from from the stands, from the grandstands where the people are, where they let the fans some fans sit, and you just said hi in a very unenthusiastic way, and you should really appreciate your fans more. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? What are you? I I was taking selfies with people. I was waving. I was saying hi to people. Like you must have the one moment where. Probably what happened, you want to know what probably happened? Is I'm wandering around the red carpet area. And oddly, there's a lot of people that weren't in the movie wandering around the red carpet area. And I saw Jonathan Banks. Is is it Banks or Bank? I think it's Banks. Who plays Mike on Breaking Bad. And I just found out from a friend of mine who I grew up with in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that Mike is living in the building he lives in and they'd become friends. So I thought I'd say hi to Mike. And, you know, maybe he knows who I am. And I said hi to Mike. And I said, my friend Dave says you guys are pals in Albuquerque because that's where they shoot. And he's got a place there. He goes, yeah, Dave's a good guy. And it was about three minutes into my conversation with Mike where I realized that he's not Mike. He's Jonathan. But where I realized, like, he's got no uh, no idea who I am. I'm just some guy on a red carpet. I'm not, I've got nothing to do with anything. And uh, so there was that great moment. But then Ed Begley hugged me. So... Made up for it, balanced it out. But anyways, my point is, maybe you caught me at that moment where I was sort of like, what am I doing here? Why Should I even be here? Uh, hi. Maybe that was that. Not not like some weird dismissive attitude I have. Perhaps I was having one of my own insecure reflective moments. But I did get to see, uh, yeah, I saw Ed Begley. I'll say it twice. He was very nice. And then I got into the theater and I said hi to a lot of fans, did a lot of selfie taking, was enjoying myself in my denim shirt, my new denim shirt that got sent to me from the Ship John guy. Cranston, Brian Cranston came up, gave me a little hugs, congratulated me, said I was doing good. And I said, you're doing good too. And we had a moment. I felt like one of the people at the thing. But there's still part of me like, I don't know what I'm doing there. And I'm very excited to see celebrities. I saw Aaron Paul, and I was almost going to go wander up and just say hi to Aaron Paul. It's his night. He's the star of the movie. But I didn't want to risk a, another situation where, like, who's this guy on the carpet, you know? Maybe I'm projecting that. I don't know. My point is, is that I'm still excited by celebrity and truly the most exciting moment for me, <laughs> just because I watched All Breaking Bad recently. Uh, what's his name? Giancarlo Esposito. Is that his name? Yeah, he was there. I was excited to see him. I didn't go talk to him. He, he scares me a little. But I saw, like, I heard a voice I was familiar, and I turned around. It's Hank. Hank from Breaking Bad. I don't even know his name. I don't even know the actor's name. And I'm like, oh, fuck, there's Hank. I was so excited to see Hank, and he's talking just like Hank. I couldn't believe Hank was there. I didn't even know the guy's name. But I'm like, oh, shit, that's Hank. And uh, I was happy I still have those feelings. I didn't go to the party afterwards because I, you know, I, I, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? I saw Cranston. I saw Ed Begley. You know, I saw Jonathan. I was going to go to the party. Maybe he'd be there. I could explain to him who I am, not just some weirdo from New Mexico wandering around the carpet. But what am I going to do? Go feel awkward at a party? Come on. I got hugged by Ed Begley. What more can you ask for from a red carpet experience? And I saw Mike Chiklis briefly leaving. Come on. 
Oh, I saw Walter Hill there. I had a nice chat with Walter Hill, who's been on this show, the director. That was great. That was great. But Hank was there. I should find out what that guy's name is. Shouldn't I? Should I have done it before I did this? I'm a big fan of the guy that plays Hank. Hey, Jackie Tone is on the show today. And I saw the guy who plays Hank. And he talked just like Hank in real life. He sounded just like Hank did. But I guess I should bring up the movie. The movie, I, I was very happy to see uh, those people again. It was, it was sort of a, I would, I would say it's almost a comedy. But it's very, it's engaging. And uh, Aaron Paul's great. These are great characters. And he's in it. I saw, oh, I saw Jesse Plemons, the guy who played uh, the psychopath. He was there. I love him, man. He was in Black Mass. He's been a lot. He's great. He's great. And he's with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Are they married? I guess they're married. We had a nice chat. He's in the movie. Jonathan Banks is in the movie. Uh, Cranston's in the movie and flashbacks. But the movie really picks up right where Breaking Bad ends. Oh, the guy who plays Skinny Pete. I met that guy. He's not like that in real life. I am still amazed. Skinny Pete doesn't act like Skinny Pete in real life. Badger's Matt Jones. Badger doesn't act like that either, but he acts closer to Badger than Skinny Pete acts to Skinny Pete. I am such a fan of this show, apparently. So anyways, what was I talking about? The movie starts where Breaking Bad ends, and it's basically Aaron Paul. It's Jesse's story. And it's... uh. It's great. It's great to revisit those characters. Vince Gilligan was there. I didn't say hi to him. He's been on the show. That was an important show that Brian Cranston won because I, for the fucking life of me, could not separate him from Walter White. I was so deep into the show and I'm looking at Cranston and I'm like, dude, I don't know who you think you are, but... I need to talk to Walter White. So can we make that happen? I don't know what this story is about Malcolm in the middle, but it seems out of character for you, Walter. I'm, I'm, I'm learning, but I still have a sort of, I still have a thing, right? Oh, I should have said hi to Hank. Hank should have said hi to Hank. All right, look, let's read this email real quick. Because I think I owe people an apology. And i it's weird because I thought about this when I said it. Subject line, kid haver. A kid haver. Mark, I love you and the show, but please, for God's sakes, can you stop with the whole world is going to hell and I'm so happy I don't have kids routine. I'm one of those kid haver type people who is fully simpatico with your very honest and realistic worldview. And thus, I too have a serious sense of dread about climate change and the fate of the human race. My eight-year-old daughter is currently in our dining room earning some extra credit by watching a few climate change news clips and it's breaking my fucking heart. She is still so innocent and has no idea how tough her life will be one day because of all this. We all do our various daily tap dance routines so that we can put one foot in front of the other and not let the weight of it all prevent us from going to work and living our lives. But hearing the no kid slash end of the world thing just takes the wind right out of me. 
By all means, be happy you don't have kids. They can be a pain in the ass, and it's often a ton of menial and boring work. I mean, there isn't a parent alive who doesn't occasionally fantasize about being child-free. All I'm saying is that you often mention how you're worried about the children you didn't have, much less the children you could have had. I would request that you channel that feeling when you're about to go down this road. I think it will give you a sense of what the parents in your audience are thinking and feeling. Thanks for all you do. Love all the guitar dork talk. Please keep it up, Matt. All right, Matt. You're right. I realize that, and I'm not even going to be flip about it. I know it's hard. I know it's heartbreaking. I know it's, it's you know, times are dire and scary and noted, noted. Um. Like, and I feel the impulse to you know, kind of slip one in, like, sort of like, but, you know, I'll have kids. Yeah, I'm not going to do it, though, even though I just did it by couching it in the, like, I could have done it, and then I did it, but not in the same tone. You know how that works? Seriously, though, Matt, point well taken, and I actually did, I did realize that after. It's like, you know, what am I doing that for? Why am I saying that stuff? There's people that are trying to deal, and I'm just sort of like just me it all ends with me and i'll be out from under it before it goes bad okay fine but i don't have to you know make it worse for people i understand look jackie tone is here i enjoy her uh we have a a a we have a connection that goes back centuries to eastern europe jew jews Jews. Yes, this is Jew talk. There will be Jew talk. So if that's enough for you to go like, all right, I'm out, then go fuck yourself. Jew talk coming down the pike. Me and Jackie Tone, part of being Jewish is saying you're a Jew and talking about Jew stuff. You can watch her in all three seasons of Glow. That's on Netflix. You can seek out her stand-up. And uh, you can listen to us talk right now about her and uh, Jews. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. How do you roll with these, Mr. Those were left there. I've had people... Smoke weed. Oh, weed! In the weed, uh, in the uh, in the podcast, there's some people that uh, I, someone must have brought that at some point. Sure. 
like I don't I don't stop people from doing things. I've had people come with coolers of beer because they can't get through a fucking hour. One hour in yeah. the morning. Yeah. Uh-huh. That and then and then yeah, a couple people smoke weed. Who is really just Kevin Smith? Really, really? Sure. I think because he has to. I think. Can I have a Kleenex, please? Do you think he actually has to? I could have handed you the box, but right. since we're friends, I handed you individual. Yeah. Uh, do do I think he actually has to? Yeah. Actually, no. But right. I mean, does he think he has to? Probably. Sure, 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 is sure. it a deep ingrained habit? I don't know. You know, I haven't seen that guy in a long time. I have no idea how he's doing. Right. How are you doing? Are you I'm all right? Well, are you? I mean, it, you know, it comes and goes. I saw on Instagram yesterday uh-huh. a girl I didn't know posted a video of the last thing her mom said before she died, and I took a nosedive the rest of the day was over. Why do people do that? Why do people? Well, you mean the actual footage of her dying? Right before her mother was going. I love you, and I'm going to miss you. And I'm even getting choked up now. And I was like, <gasps> and I just like went off it. And then my whole day, I was just like, oh, my God, the last moments, this girl. It was a disaster. But I was having a great day but, <laughs> yesterday. But, like, but, but it was footage? It's footage. That's rough. I don't know why people. I don't, why did she do that? I mean, is that is that is <laughs> is that a positive thing that that we can do that I stuff? Think I don't know. What it was is she was like, listen, I'm grieving and yeah. I want to share my grief, and people were probably reaching out to her and going like, hey, we're here for you, we love you. This, you know, whatever the improv yeah. community or I don't oh, know. Oh, you this know girl. the person? No. Oh, you didn't know her. I I was random that I ended up on her talk about addictions and all that, but like Instagram. Instagram. Is, Are is you that, really in? I'm trying to figure out how to do stories correctly. Like I'm, I'm still a novice. Like I've kind of. I can de- teach you in five minutes. Yeah, I, I think I've got it. I uh-huh. think I've departed Twitter for the most part. I, yeah. I, I never I, really I, fucked with Twitter. I was always more of like an Instagram person, but I'm, I'm not on it that much. Yeah. Because I try not to be. Yeah. But then I also, you know, there's this weird thing. I was just working with, um, uh, Amy Heckerling. Yeah, how do I know her? She's She's a director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was just saying that she was pitching all these actors for this new show she's doing. Yeah. And all the executives were just asking about their numbers and all like these people, the followers. Instagram numbers. I talked yeah. to Gil, to Betty about it because she's off she, it. But she took the other route, which is like, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to have none." Yeah, because I don't want to deal with any of it. And, and look that's at her Emmy-nominated uh, actress with no followers. No followers. But it's this weird thing of like every time I go, like oh, I just want to leave it. I don't think that like my happiness lies in like I'll be on Instagram for 20 minutes, then I'll just sort of look up. And realize I'm on it. I don't yeah. remember opening the phone. I don't remember opening the sure. app. I don't remember yeah. going in. Yeah. And now 30 minutes of my life has passed. Yep. And I've learned that a stranger's mom has passed away. And a lot of people took pictures talk. of their food. Yeah. A lot of people took pictures of their food. And uh, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel the same way. But I, I find that You're I've been- You're at a different level though. Like I think if you Am didn't I? have an Instagram, no one would give a- fuck because you're Marin and we love you with me I'm like building and apparently one of these very pertinent building blocks is an enormous Instagram following I I don't I guess so I don't know if I'm like at some level where I don't need it it seems that people enjoy it I just have to figure out what exactly I'm doing on it because I don't I don't think it in terms I don't think about in terms of branding right or but but I do like it, it is an audience and I like to, when I like to do it, when I'm doing my stories and walking my dog and writing fake songs and yeah. doing this bullshit, I'm enjoying that. Mm-hmm. And I think 
yeah. you know, when you're enjoying yourself, people are going to enjoy it and all that. But yeah. the the like pressure to have to is when yeah. I start to like reject it because I'm like, I run this fucking ship. Yeah, but, I don't want to have to. Also, you don't want to be annoying because like you're already a little. You're yeah, a you're little not, bit. You're not kidding. You're yeah, not kidding. and you're like you're too much of you. Yeah, be- but it's it's funny because coming from someone like you who's never annoying and always sort of kind and calm, it's weird that you would pick- <laughs> take a I, shot I was, at you. Well, yeah. I was also wondering Come too. On. If we would talk about the times we've gotten in fights <laughs> today. Well, sure. I mean, do it. <laughs> well, I just thought it was But they first. were just, like, it was just bitchy Jew fights. <laughs> bitchy I, Jew fights. But it wasn't like, they're not real fights. It was, well, when I first met you, I, I think I was like, all right, this is what this is. And I know what this is. I know this particular Long Island strain of Semitic uh, uh, neediness. <laughs> And uh, and then you looked and then you looked in my eyes and saw a fucking mirror. Uh huh. Did I? Well, a different kind of thing. A familiarity. Familiarity. Because I feel like emotionally when you, we're probably somewhere, but you're definitely a different strand of a hundred percent. A hundred percent. But yeah. I think when you, I'm, I'm familiar with it, and I have it in my family. When things mm. I do annoy you, I think it's because they're because they're things you either do or, or want to do or did like when i got out of that elevator at ArcLight and you mm. shouted at me in front of all those people what did I, do? I feel like you did that because you were mad you couldn't get out of the elevator <laughs> i meant to talk to you about this am i right i'm trying to think which part this obviously resonated more with you than me i because it's not at the tip of my brain well yeah, yeah, you, yeah you got a lot going on not, <laughs> But, what happened uh, at our This doesn't come through my daily life, but when I'm sitting across from you and having this conversation, uh-huh. I'm like, oh, this is a thing. We were in an elevator, and I love this. I love you so much. Arclight in Hollywood? Yeah, we were oh, doing a, a thing? glow panel. Right, sure. And the <laughs> elevator said Max, and I already, listen, you have my number. You know I'm Jewy and neurotic, and I'm not going to deny any of that. Uh-huh. I don't love an elevator. Yeah. I would have been happy to take the stairs of the fucking Arclight, mm-hmm. but here we are mm-hmm. in this elevator, and we're supposed to go up. And it goes down, and it says six people max, right. and 14 of us in there. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need to be. Yeah. I'm getting a little hot. I don't need right. to be in here. Yeah. And it's supposed to go up. It goes down, and then it does like a, yeah. like a oh, yeah. down up. Yeah, yeah. So when the doors open, I just go, I'm going to I'm gonna get out, and I'm going to walk. And you go, you Jewish enough? <laughs> just shout it out at me in front of everyone. <laughs> but I was feeling sensitive because I was scared. Okay. And then, yeah. And then downstairs, you said... Oh, you're being real sensitive today. Oh uh, yeah, I, I felt bad. Said, Couldn't take. And I it. said, "Well, yeah, I just was. I was scared, but uh-huh. I, I didn't. I didn't love that. Uh huh. <laughs> it's all very familiar to me, and uh, and I, you know, I, I lock into it. But there, but also, I, I guess it is a uh, somewhat of a projection. I know what's going on. I know when the jokes are coming. I know when you're. There's one scene in Glow where I was actually mad at you. Where I was, where I'm talking to the whole group of you, and you said something, and I said something back, and it was real. <laughs> I was like, "Shut the fuck up! I'm d- enough with it." <laughs> you know, it's just like any. It's it's the thing where it's sort of. I think it, I do have uh, an impulse an impulse to to do what you do, but I somehow stopped it a long time sure. ago. It's like, oh, look, there's a little bit of open air with nothing being said. I'll I'll sure. take that opportunity. I have an idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's because it's because I'm so codependent. Is it? It's partly. Are you? Yeah. Come on. I, I, you're the codependent one? Well, I'm learning about it, but I think it's because I'm finding out now I had a, a boundaryless childhood. Well, that's so, what I identify with. Yeah. I mean, that's what I feel. And like, I guess I fight. Yeah, I guess I'm, maybe I'm a little more ahead of you in, in sort of knowing age? things about myself. Yeah, age, sure. It's just shouting age. 
Um, yeah, I had the boundaryless thing. I mean, that must be it. That's part of it. But you seem to like uh, adulation and attention. Sure. And uh, I pretend like I don't. Right. Because uh, I need to fight for it. I need to. I need people to feel a little uncomfortable before they give me the attention. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do. but but I know you're familiar to me, but only because I have family in um, where where they grow up. I have Long Island people. Sure. You know, I come from. You know, my family's from Jersey, but there's the Long Island factor, uh, faction. And then you know, I grew up like I went on a Barantin tour. Mm-hmm. So like, did you go I, to the Improv? I think we did, yes. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, that all those yeah. years now later. Now that I remember, yep. we did go to the improv. Because I've been up, I've been doing shows at the improv so countless times, and I'm like, this is not appropriate for the 16 year olds who are here. So, are you, did you go on a teen tour? No, but I've performed at the improv. That's all, right. all my Jewish friends went on teen tours when I was a kid, but I moved here. I moved from New York to LA when I was just graduated from high school. Well, let's go back then. So, you grew up where? Which part of the island? I grew island? up in Oceanside, Long Island. Now, what part is that? It's Nassau County, so it's yeah. the South Shore. Right. It's like by Freeport, Baldwin. It's all not that. Five Towny, though. It's not. Five Towny is fancier and, believe it or not, Jewier. What kind of town was that? Was it working class? It wasn't Jewish? Was it Catholic, Irish? It, yes, exactly. Right. It was all of that. So there was like a Jewish factor and there was also like a big Puerto Rican and Dominican factor. Oh, yeah? And then, yeah. And then there were a lot of Italian kids and a lot of Irish kids. Right. And, and you're the, how many kids in your family? Three. Two big brothers and then me. What did they end up doing? Unsurprisingly, I'm the baby. Right. Are but, they still in New York? Yeah. Being well, New York-y? in Jersey. Be so New York, like Bruce Springsteen fans. No, like fi- like dead fans, fish fans. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like maybe there's still mushrooms in their oh, lives, yeah. and they're like in oh, their forties. Right. They're like, yeah. like maybe my brother cargo shorts, sandals, one hundred percent. And maybe the day <laughs> after my brother's son yeah. was born, he like went and did mushrooms in Madison Square Garden. Well, maybe because it was Christmas Eve, and like that's the big fish show. Yeah, not anymore. No, <laughs> that's no. over, isn't it? I think so. So those are so okay. So, so you're all kind of creative hippie kids. Well, weirdly enough, my brother, like my my big brother, has like an eBay business. My middle brother's a personal trainer, and I'm me. So my dad's a, a musician and a singer songwriter, or was, but he was a. Both of my parents are phys ed teachers. Mm-hmm. Really, is, in high schools, they were. They are both retired. But your dad's dream was a musician thing. Mm-hmm. My dad's dream was to be a musician, a singer songwriter. Playing piano and guitar and bass. Do you play any of his songs? No, I I don't as much. Well, I don't really play like as much straightforward music anymore. It's more like my stand up and musical comedy yeah. and that kind of thing, or writing songs for so lots of right turns. But I'm but, writing songs for a cartoon I'm doing for Amazon. Oh, good. But all right, so you were so this is like a pretty working class family. You oh, didn't yeah. grow up like in you know five towny jappy. No. You're see that you're not a you're not like a jap. No no no. You're no, just no. A, a kind of a meat and uh, potatoes Jew. But, but the rare the rare meat and potatoes. <laughs> no, Jew. there's yeah. a lot of them, man. There's, there's... Like I never heard described a Jew as meat and potatoes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I, so I, I, Irish. I know. I, I mean, I could think of like we could change the food. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, but, more of like a sort of brisket and knish. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, but that was because that's, it's definitely a different thing yeah. than the other ones. Right. Oh, so yeah. you knew when you were growing up that the class difference between sure. Jews, you could feel I it. I knew right? that I was not the Jews that like went to sleepaway camp, but we <laughs> went, but my parents worked there. The only way we could afford to go is my dad was like the head of the kitchen and my mom was true? like the camp mom. Yep. For how long? For a month? For two months, for the whole summer, and we went our entire lives. <laughs> our entire lives. We were like sleepaway camp kids. 
It was. They, it was, they had the gig every year. They had the gig so you, every year. So you're like the regulars. We were staff but, kids. We're called staff kids. But so, but when when sometimes when the Jappy kids would come back, they'd be like, "Well, they're not really right." And, and I right. knew that I wasn't with the kids who could afford to go there for eight to ten thousand dollars a summer. Right. Like, but they and they knew us. you too. Sure. So were you the cool one? Were you were you well, letting I them smoke and cool. stuff? And, I was cool in that, like, I was always a weird kid and an actor and a theater kid. You don't say. But you were playing so, guitar, too, at that time, right? Um, I didn't play guitar till I was 18. Yeah. So I, I was after camp, which was crazy. Right. But I, I was like, I dressed in thrift, like it was part need, part right. I was that weird kid. Right, and so yeah, sure. it wasn't like, I, I didn't want your fancy things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I did. Right. But I low-key acted like I didn't and then was like a thrift shopper weird kid. So all three of you went to the camps? Mm-hmm. Every summer? The camps. Easy with the term, the camps. Sorry, the, the camp. <laughs> Where was it? Upstate New York. Camp Laconda. Yeah, it was a totally Jew camp? Jew camp. And For services on Friday night. Not everyone does that version. It's weird. There are different versions of a don't alarm. Oh. You know, there's a slow, a slow one that I grew up with. Do I need it? What is it? A don't alarm. Oh, I share my life. And I think maybe that picks up at the end and they, they switch it sometimes. A don't alarm. Don't alarm. I share my life. Wow. I forgot I knew that one. Yeah, this is a full-on uh, middle-class conservative Jewness uh-huh. going on. <laughs> I love it. I haven't done. It's funny though, because as I mean, I play so Jewish on on Glow, and I'm obviously yeah. very Jewy as a person, and I quite like that yeah. about myself. But I don't know any. I know very little about Judaism. And that's the and same I wish of I all of us. More. We know that song. That's right. But, but like, I don't even know what it's saying. I don't, and know. I don't know what it's saying, and I don't know when the holidays are or what they you mean. You kind of know. They're, they're kind of around. I was born on Kol Nidra. So like, I know that Rosh Hashanah and you know, Kippur are going to be around my birthday. Right. Like it's soon. I, I didn't stop really drifting. I didn't start drifting from that till I was older. Like I would find a place to go when I was in my 20s and stuff. Nobody, I think so too. You know, but now I don't. Yeah, it's sort of sad. I think so too, especially now that we just uh, don't want to go home. You know, it's like it starts like that, where you're like, "Is do we need to go home for the Jewish holidays?" That seems crazy, right? Right? Like Thanksgiving, maybe you'll go home for, but the Jewish holiday, you know. So then then, over Christmas, like no one even goes home for Hanukkah. It's just like, of course not. But like, but like, you can find you can find other Jews here. No one ever invites me to seder's. Really? No, I might. You won't come. You do a seder. I don't do it. What? No, I'm saying like I know people that do seders, and if I I actually love it when someone goes like, "Hey, come for this, come for Shabbat, or come Mm. for seder." Like I don't really do them, but it's always super nice. I think that people are nervous to invite me, and I think that that's probably warranted. But I'm pretty good. Like I get nervous too. Like if someone invites me, I'm like, "What am I going to do? I'm just going to go over there." But then I go, and it's fine. It's nice. Yeah, I, I know how to be a guest. Of course, I don't freak 100%, out. 100% not. I, I don't know. I talk about this a lot on the show about not being invited places, but you got to invite people to be invited, I think, is the, the thing. No? I also think, yes, I, I do, but I also think that there's like a vibe about a person and you give off a vibe like you don't, not that that you don't want to be invited. Yeah. Like you give off a vibe like, well, I don't want to, I don't need to do this. I don't want to do this. Yeah. But well, I, I, you yeah. do want to, and, but I think, I, I I personally, and maybe I'm reading you wrong, but mm. I see past that, and I don't think that of you. No. I don't think like, oh, he doesn't want to come places. Yeah. See, I think that's our problem is maybe you see past it, and then I have to go harder to mm. to keep you out of me. Mm, true. <laughs> oh, it's so real. It took me a second for it to like really get into the folds. You can't. I can't get her out of me. Yeah. She's, gonna, uh. she's in. Claws. So, all right. So you're going to camp every summer with your parents. 
with yeah. your parents. And then I had to like be really sort of behave at camp because my parents were there. So like all the girls were like sneaking to other bunks and making out and I couldn't yeah. do any of that because my parents were there. But cut to my parents didn't give a shit. Like, you didn't make out with, you didn't make out at a camp? A little bit. I was so prude until I was like 18 years old. I was, I was so neurotic. I mean, not that I'm not anymore, but I was so neurotic as a kid. Yeah. And I think it's coming Making from, out at camp, you have to. But I think it comes from the boundaryless nature oh. of my childhood like well what was if, that though what do you i mean your parents were teachers you just mean like what form of boundarylessness i'll tell you like i didn't have a curfew because right. okay, everybody right. else had a curfew so my mom was the cool mom that was like what are you gonna do stay out by yourself right your friends have a curfew you're gonna come back at some point did she talk like that 100 percent still does and here so, listen this one i got this one do you want us to say no <laughs> that was crazy that's identical no. Like, it, that's not a quote, but that's the subtext of what right. she's saying. What do you want me to do? I'll, right, I'll say right, no, I'll right, say no. Right, exactly. Yeah, so then I become the adult. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. And then I would have to choose. Also, if my brothers had sporting event stuff, yeah. she would go, what are you going to come to the? You don't need to come to that. Yeah. And then we never had family dinners. We mm. never had to sit around a table and look at each other and check in and oh, really? be together. Uh. We never had to. And then when I had my performances, my brothers never came. There was never like a family unit vibe because my mom was like, the boys don't want to come to your singing. You yeah, don't want to yeah. come to their sports, except you got to go support your brothers and you got to support your sister. Like, I love the idea of, I don't know, not making your kids, but yeah. Everybody has family dinner. And so it just felt like a lot of floating. And in, in my mom's brain, she was being this cool mom. And in my brain, it was like yeah. grasping for like, yeah, you want some who's definition. the adult? Yeah, yeah. No, I get, yeah, I was, I understand that one. Yeah, but I think my parents too were uh, needy people and self-involved people, right? So what I've determined is that they were not that capable of a uh, sort of selfless kind of unconditional love stuff. They, mm. you know, I was just, I was just sort of an extension of their worry. Mm. You know what I mean? Like sure. it wasn't, I, I don't, and my dad was never around. So like we had family, we didn't really have family stuff cause it, he was sort of not, you know, he was working mm. and my brother was at tennis school and tennis camp. We both took different paths. So I, I never really thought about the unity thing. There was not, but what's funny that you say that about your dad is my dad asked me in my twenties or something. He was like, you know, sorry, I wasn't around. Where was he? He's a when gym you teacher. were a kid, I'll tell you. And I, I, that wasn't my experience of my, my memory of my dad. Cause yeah. we played music together. So he'd sit at the piano and we'd sing and do right. harmony. Yeah. And anytime anyone came over, me and my dad had our little duo performance and my right. mom and I always had like, Kind of a Stiller and Mira shtick, and we would do. It was always like, right, Jackie, go. And yeah. I didn't notice that I was sort of being put on display because right. I liked it and I, th I think wanted it. Yeah. But my dad also had these trade shows. He's a postal historian, so he is a philatelist. Wait a minute. So know, this guy's a singer-songwriter, the gym teacher, the camp <laughs> operator, and now he's a philatelist. That's right. Which is a postal historian. <laughs> yes. So he buys, he used to, he just fit, sold Stamp his business. Stamp collector. Stamp collector, Buy, but buys and sells and trades. And so there he was a time. He sold the business? Mm -hmm. How much did he sell the business for? Um, He did okay. Come on. I think it was worth like three seventy five. Come on. And he sold. There's no, still people that do that? Well, he didn't get that because each piece individually would have been worth that, but he sold it for, I don't want to talk. Oh, both, yeah. right. No, I, no I'm just he curious about that the interest is still there. Over $100,000. Sure. Okay, because they're, they're actual things. Yes. 
the, the big books of, of little stamps with 40, the little weird 50 little years. the little sticky thing that you stick it in the book with yep. and the little wax envelopes but there were envelopes which are called covers which mm. depends on this is truly full sheets of stamps but it's not only stamps mm. it's any postal history so people collect things that randomly went through a post office. Did he have one of those upside down plane stamps? He did not. Hmm. We would have been very rich if he did. That was the that was the one stamp we all knew about. The Grail. <laughs> the one. I don't even know if it exists. The Grail. It's fake. Yeah. Some guy made it up about yeah. eighteen years ago. So he was doing these. He did thirty five weekends a year, and he worked all day every day during the week. Yes, he was literally never around, and I don't remember that. I remember like playing and singing. Well, a and- good hour. Of connection. That's true. You know, we'll transcend, uh, you know, a few weeks, weeks of, absence. of absence. Sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, it's really about the connection, I think, ultimately. I think that's the one thing that saves any of it. Yeah. That, you know, I do feel connected to my parents. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, can't, I don't think I'd rely on them for anything, <laughs> but I do, you know, I know them. I would have relied on them. Yeah. Like, in, now I still do, but they got so much of their own shit. Are they I'm together? Having, yeah. Huh. And I'm having to constantly be like, did you go to that doctor or please, please don't eat that? And a friend of mine actually told me um, that I need to stop with fighting with my parents about what they eat. What are they because eating? Because in the fucking garbage, rat poison. Really? They are, it's, the, it's, it's unbelievable. Like what did you grow up with? Well, my dad has had like a heart attack and a stroke and all has diabetes. And he's like, yeah, I... Uh, I, uh, what's it called? I cheated tonight. I had a little bit of French, I had a sugar covered French toast with a side of bacon. I'm like, what? Wow, what are you doing? Wow. Sugar covered. But then he sometimes tell, but I'm like, why are you telling me too? Like, what, you at know a diner? I'm gonna, yeah, of course, always at a diner yeah. or at Flakowitz. <laughs> what's Flakowitz? That's the Jewish deli they eat at in Florida. Oh, they're in Florida. Mm-hmm. Flakowitz? Where the hell's, where does it, we're in the, Florida? Uh, it probably, uh, what, Lake Worth or Boynton Beach or oh. Jewish town, USA. But it's just weird, like, you know, you always think, like, who would end up in Florida? But then, like, something happens to you as a Jew when you start visiting there. You get older and you're like, not bad. kind of nice. Well, there's a weight to it that it's actually relaxing. And I don't even know how that's possible, given how <laughs> densely populated it is and how fucking weird it is. But there's something about it where you're like, it just slows you down. It's re- I couldn't agree more. And my parents are, like, staunch New Yorkers. They said they were never going to be those old Jews that went down to Florida. Yeah, but not they're us. all that. Yeah, like, not us. Forget Get it. We're never going. Right. And they're down there. They have more of a social life. They're full of, more full of, to of do. staunch New Yorkers uh-huh. who said they were never going to go to Florida. 100%. They're surrounded by them because uh-huh. they're all all their everyone that's like them went there. Like minded Jews, they love it. Oh yeah, they just sit in circles and complain <laughs> <laughs> about what they did and what they didn't do and what that's they right. should do and how much it cost at that place. That's right. Ugh. The doctors, the they doctors, and the and the two restaurants that everyone goes doctors. to. Flight do you go to that place? Is it still good? Flakewoods, I yeah. do. Yep, delicious. Flake bagel woods. chips are delightful there. Wolfie's used to be down where my mother's is gone. Mm. I like. Why did I grow up like? I grew up. Here's the thing. I grew up like envying people of your ilk. Like to me, the Jewish sensibility was always comes from people like your, like the Long Island people, Brooklyn people, real New York people. I was from Jersey, but my parents moved away early on, so my idols comedically whether it was Woody Allen or Richard Mm. Lewis or Buddy Hackett. There was a New York sensibility that I only had genetically from Jersey, so I had to sort of aspire to it. It's so funny because I'm so in you. No, like, I know. I think I mean, you probably I'm, I'm, felt like I gotta reach for that, but like you are already it. It's yeah. I, I mean, it's in me because like Jersey's Jersey, but it's still like. 
But they were just my heroes, always the old Jews, right? right? And I did, Same. in college, I did Don't Drink the Water, and I played, you know, the old Jewish mm-hmm. guy, the father. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, I, I, of course I could play that. I don't know where it came from, but it's in me. I don't know how it's in me, it's but it so, is. It's so good. It really is. It's in all of us. It's really- Is it? You oh, just turn I it on? So. Well, but I have you, a weird thing of like when I- like I met this um my friend's friend the other night and I I couldn't it was like such an instant it was not a obvious clearly not a romantic connection but yeah. it was just such an instant fusing of like brains and like sternums even it was just like oh, I get this person it was just like I mean it's just cultural like yeah, but it's he's not, a, it's, he's a he, and he's like a Studio City Jew like he's it's an Ashkenazi trip mm-hmm. though like you know you get into the Sephardic or into more like there's some Jews I don't like. I'm like, you're a Jew? How is that mm-hmm. possible? Explain to me. I see ortho, oh, like uh, Hasidim and I'm oh, like, yeah. you don't look like a Jew. Yeah. If, if you take off the hat and the hair, I don't know what's going on. It's a hundred percent. It's a mystery. It is such a mystery. But the, well, those of us that are like these cultural ones, just culturally, it's like Ashkenaz, I find Ashkenaz, Russian, yeah. Polish. I was going to say Eastern German. European. Yep. Yeah. Eastern European Jews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the same Madonna alums. This, you got to have the same Madonna But, but I, I've met reformed Jews and I'm like, no, no. I don't know mm. what's, what's happening there. So there was a guitar at the synagogue, and I don't. Wow, <laughs> you're telling me the Rebbe was a woman? Yeah, that doesn't no, make sense. No, come on, get <laughs> out of here. But it's true, right? It is. It's weird. That's so, good. all right. So, how does uh? So you're playing songs with your dad, and he's collecting stamps on weekends. Your oh. brother's doing sports. Your mother and you and her, your mother have some sort of shtick you do. So when does uh? When do you, when do you decide that you need all this attention? That show business. Birth. <laughs> I. What about your grandparents? Are they around? No. Were my, they? Yes. My, it's funny that you brought that up. So I want to answer the question about when I wanted to go into well, show business, we'll but there's there. two. Yeah. Um, the, um, my grandparents, no, they're not around. My, my dad's dad died when. No, but when you were a kid, were they there? Cause mm-hmm. they were, that was, my grandparents my, were my, they were my real sort of connection oh, to everything. No. To everything, to comedy, to everything. Oh. My my mother's parents, when I grew up, I'd stay there a lot. Where I'd go. Mm. And my grandma Goldie, that was it. She was it. Well, but Jack why is and Goldie, Goldie the best name? That, Jack and Goldie is the two best names I've ever heard. Yeah, Jacob and Goldie. Yeah. Oh, forget it. Jack. I have to name my kids Jack and Goldie now. Don't be weirded out. No, I won't. All right, I All right so go ahead. So, you're, so my... Also, they're frozen in a some somewhere in Encino, my kids. So now I, I've always called them Darby and Michael, my eggs. But now I'm going to call them Jack and Goldie. You sold your eggs? No, they're frozen for me. Okay. Yeah, but now they they were always Darby and Michael because those were the first names I thought of yeah. when I froze them. I said, "Be gentle with Darby and Michael yeah. when they took them away." You just but why? now they're going to be Jack and Goldie. It's too cute. What? what why, why does one freeze their eggs? Well, Explain it to me. I froze my eggs because I was in a relationship when I was like 32, and I realized that I had done the exact same thing four times in a row, which was date a really awesome, charismatic comedian with yeah. a Peter Pan complex who was never going to make me a wife and give right. me children. Right. And as this relationship was ending, yeah. I was like, I need to fix, I need to work on myself, but I also definitely want kids and I want a career. Mm. And I so- have not a lot of examples of women who can do both. I I think it's really challenging. Um, And so I just decided at at the right before that relationship ended that I was going to freeze my eggs and I just went and did it. So so then they become plantable. Yeah. You can plant those in the ground. You can have a baby tree. It'll be pretty. Okay. But that's the idea you find Mm -hmm. a, 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 well, yeah. Then once you get ultimately, 
I still am um, of an age where I can have children naturally. Yeah. But I want to continue my career. I want to write and produce and right. do all my things and um, be in front of the camera. And it's fucking challenging. I heard Betty on here talking too, like about women, you know, having an expiration date. And I think since I was never an ingenue, it's less of a less yeah. of a deal breaker for me. Like I'll just grow up and be a craggy character. Actress. Yeah, but if That'll you get into fun. production, it's like anything. Like you know, it's really just relative to you, you know a very specific uh, kind of like being in front of the camera yes. trip in a I, certain way. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. but even like with you know, like, yeah, I don't want to trivialize. It's hard for women on all levels, but you know what I mean. Well, but I, that part. But I also want to be able to, even if it's not about what I look like, yeah. I want to be able to take the time to raise the kid. Do you? And yeah, I do. Mm. And I don't want to, after he or she is born, four weeks later, just be back either producing, direct, whatever the thing is. I want to be able to take that time. And right now, I can't realistically take I get it. nine months to be pregnant and then another year to be with this child to make sure they feel nurtured and yeah. that I didn't just pop them out and hand them up to a nanny. Right. And I don't have those two years right now while I'm on this like sort of run of my career at whatever level this is, you know, sure. I've been, I wanted to be successful as an actor or as a person in this business. Yeah. I started when I was nine right. and I got glow when I was 35. <laughs> so it's haul. a long fucking haul. And now I'm like in these baby making prime baby making years, yeah. actually the end of the baby making years. And, and in this like, Oh, cool making a show on here and there and working on all no these time for babies no man either in the life um i do i have a boyfriend huh. i have a boyfriend it we start we've been dating for like six months but this is not one of the four comedian no peter that... pan complex what is that that means stay young forever what's peter yeah pan? i think it's this like and the dudes that i and i'll you know we'll, we can talk more specifically I, i'm literally i was i i was too neurotic and selfish to to think about children and it wasn't I, n I never thought I was going to stay young. Well, I don't what's think crazy I is it's not too come. late for you. And that's what people say, but it kind of is. Would you, but I it, want it, that it would, in my life? But it, well, that's a choice, but I for me... I, I'm, I'm watching my cats slowly decline, and I can't even handle it. You think I can't handle the heartbreak of just a kid coming home from school not you know needing you anymore yeah, some, no but just something that doesn't work out like it's like I, my boundaries are so shitty emotionally that i just can't i couldn't i don't i find that i couldn't handle like i think that was another pro that was a problem with my mother too is that my pain even the most mundane where she could have just said this happens it was sort of like oh that's terrible like immediately commiserating oh I thought like, you were going to say the opposite, which was like, you'll be fine. No, no, no. Oh, like, like, so diving like, in into the pain with you. Right. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And I think I have that. Like, it's just like, you know, how do you, she didn't have any way of making me feel better other than trying to experience the sadness and then just resigning to that. Oh. So just so it becomes really her sure. thing. Whatever. So that's. That, I don't know why I started talking about that. That's why I don't have kids and I don't regret it and I don't really think about it that much. I just really am too uh, neurotically full Wired. Of panic. It just worried. Mm -hmm. I know I, it doesn't seem like I am. But oh, I, yeah, no, it's, it, it totally it's doesn't. Worried. You're really you're really fooling everyone. I had no idea you felt that way. Um, I <laughs> I usually just make it anger. I don't, uh -huh. That's the public face of my, my panic and we dread. We got the anger in common too, friend.
Ay, ay, ay. I don't I don't love that about myself, well, that's for sure. Let's okay, go back, back real quick. We were at your grandfather, so your father's father was not around. Like you know, He died he had a heart attack when my dad was like nineteen. Oh. Fucking and nightmare. so you didn't know any of your grandfather. I didn't know I knew my mom's parents are Holocaust survivors. Were. They're no longer. But they survived the Holocaust. They moved after in the early forties to Paris. Yeah. And then Wow. Uh it's fucking crazy. And then um, they not had, camp survivors. They got out. Not camp survivors. My grandma's, the rest of my grandma's family was in various camps. And my grandma and my grandpa were miraculously like just one step ahead. And there's just, you know, all these miracles. They knew when to get out. I, they, they, oh, they, fought, they didn't know, but I guess, you know, they knew that um, the occupation was coming and they, other people knew too, but, you know, it's hard to... To think that that's going to be real, you go are you like, "What are they going to come?" We're living and in it. I, I didn't want to say that. We're living in it, and which so, is sort of like, you know, how bad is this going to get? Really, you know, and like, how you people know. don't think it's real, and they're just like, they think that it's fake photos at the border, and it's not real, and those people aren't real. Like, what? That's staged. No, that's I don't. Staged I, by the left. I don't. Oh, those people. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think people know there's it's people real, but there's so family. so people. So everything moves so quickly now. There's not people don't latch on to it. For a long enough period of time. That's exactly right. But like oh, random, another mass shooting, and then well, the right. next day it's like when random acts of violence become defined by a certain ideology. You know, it's not so random anymore. Mm-mm. It doesn't mean that you know it's a uh, you know, but it's coming from an ideological place that is shared by many people. So when does that become a bigger problem? That we all have fear, but then, but because it's so common, the bigger problem is also this like weird gray wash over the whole scene, and right. you don't even see it because it's so prevalent you're just doing your everyday life and that bigger fucking cloud is just there again well now it's an actual cloud it's actual fire it's actual like you know uh, weather that's you know beyond anything we can handle and you, you know we're starting to see that stuff so it's sort of a race between ideology and the actual end of the end of the actual world yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right yeah. and it's a blaze yeah. so my mom's so parents you knew them I knew them, but um, my grandpa only till I was like 10 mm. and he didn't hardly spoke any English and chain smoke cigarettes and he just oh, sort of was great. around, yeah. and, but they were in Florida and we were in New York. Right. And then my grandma, my mom's mom, I was closer with, but also they were so far away. Right. Yeah. I think my, my more too, but I think it's nice to have that connection with your grandparents if it's there. Absolutely. You know, but they didn't, who- but they didn't really tell us. You know, stories. Obviously, right. I was a kid, and they're not going to be like, listen to these atrocities. But you knew you they had these grandparents, mm-hmm. and they'd been, you know, just a look at them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's enough. I agree. And they were around, and I had great conversations with my grandma. And in yeah. high school, I filmed her and asked her questions uh, about World War II. And, oh, really? Which was crazy because then when we got to shoot that campfire scene in Glow, in Glow, yeah. it was nuts. I, they, Liz and Carly had some, you know, aunt. Whatever they yeah. had, Sarah, and I asked if I could change it to the name of my mom's aunt Pessel, who was my grandma's only sister that stayed in Poland uh-huh. with her parents, uh-huh. and they all got, I will say, exterminated because yeah. that's what happened. And I always choke on that word, like, do I need to be dramatic? And it's like it is fucking dramatic. That's yeah, what happened. Right. And so they let me change the name of that story uh, I was telling to Pessel, and I memorialized my great aunt. It was that's great. Just who, boy, that was nuts, a nuts thing. Yeah, who gets yeah. to do that? It's beautiful. Glow is cool. Definitely cool. <laughs> all right, so, all right, so nine, when does the show business start? Well, when I was about 10 yeah. years old, 
I also because I know you like you're almost a, almost a child actress. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I was I was like did a couple episodes of The Nanny when I was like, How does that twelve. Happen? I was my mom had a friend who I think she took Lamaze with when she was pregnant with my brother and. This woman was an agent and she worked in out of her back house in Baldwin, Long Island. Her name was Aggie Gold of Fresh Faces Agency. Yeah. And she was a bovan. This woman would call anyone and everyone and she would say things like, She my client is a star. You have to meet her. And if you don't like her, I promise you, I know you don't know her from a hole in the wall and she's never worked, but if yeah. you meet her and you don't like her, you're never gonna hear from me again. Yeah. And then pitch. I would tell, I told my shrink that, and she goes, oh my God, the prayer. The, she felt so awfully for me. Yeah. She's like, the little child in you, knowing those stories, your whole life you've been telling this as yeah. this positive story, yeah. Yeah, right. but the amount of pressure that was on your shoulders to deliver that day, yeah. when your agent was like, you'll never hear from me again if you don't think this person who I'm telling you is a star is but a But did star. you know she was saying that when you were a kid? I think so. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I think so. But I, I again, I, think, but, I don't know. Kids uh, can absorb that that's, shit. That's how I felt. And, you know, I, like and instead, a... I delivered. Yeah. Instead, I was like, do I have a joke for you? Yeah. So I, wrote, I was writing stand up when I was a teenager. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yes. I don't know how funny it was, but. Yeah. But you didn't do stand up. No. As a um, teenager. I did a little. Like, I would go into Nickelodeon and do like five minutes of like impressions and jokes about an easy bake oven and my boyfriend in elementary school and this but shit. But you like shtick. I was, it would shtick. How did you, but how did you earn that shtick? My mom. But who were her, who were her people? How, I mean, who was she, I mean, was it natural or? Yes. Because you sort of have this timeless Jewish thing that, uh, that I always recognize and I always feel and I think it's, you know, at the core of all of us, but it's like, you know, it's almost like, uh, Fanny Bryce or Tony Fields. Yeah, and then to Joan River. Yeah, it was yeah. It's, oh, Fanny Bryce. But it's like my idols growing up were Gilda Radner, Joan Rivers, and Bette Midler. Right. Like when I saw them, I just saw myself. Yeah. Maybe I'm giving myself too much credit, but I just would go like, No, that's that, how you do it. Yeah. That's what I want. That's who I am. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna sing, and I wanna tell jokes, and I wanna be dramatic, and I want to host stuff, and I wanna do Fashion Police, and I wanna be Bette Midler's Broadway show. Yeah. I just these are the things. But it's interesting. You never, tr- you never thought to do stand up as a younger person because there was a couple of people that like teenage stand up phenomenons. One of them, I think, turned out to be in her twenties and lying. <laughs> I forget her name. It was kind of a oh, controversy. I, I want to look it up. Like she was like a teenage uh, stand-up Savant. comedian. She well, was like she wasn't that good. Oh. But it, I mean, the <laughs> angle was it. that she was a kid. But then turns out she wasn't really a kid. There was that story, too. Of and the, she kept doing it. She the kept, woman that she created Felicity. Hit. Yeah. She said she was like 22 and she was like 35 yeah. or something. I mean, I, I get if you're blatantly lying, that's not okay. But also this business is this like, you have to be young and you have to be this. And it's like... That's why people are lying and saying they're younger. I, I don't say I'm, I mean, I don't lie about my age, but I wouldn't say I'm younger because I give a fuck. I say I'm younger because you give a fuck. Yeah. Because like people hiring actors, yeah. they don't, if you look 29, but you're 39, you want the people to think you're 29 because yeah. that weirds their brain out for some reason, even though we're actors and that's the point. Yeah. I, I don't, like I played a guy recently that was supposed to be, I, I wasn't, it was based on him. So there's no way you're going to make me. 28 right but the real guy was like in his 20s and you know they played cast me and it'd be a guy in his 40s and what what i don't give a fuck right 
put the wig on me. What are you going to do? Who gives a fuck? Yeah, get, make right, a little so you're, you're nine, you're working with Fran Drescher? Like, well, it was you... 11 or 12 when, when that was my first job that I got. And I I just wanted to act. And my mom knew this agent like on Long Island. Yeah. I mean, I know it's close to New York, but it's not like right. we were going and meeting agents. It yeah. all just sort of happened in a really lucky way. And I, my, I wasn't pushed into it by my mom. I begged and begged until finally when I was like 10 or 11... She was like, okay, we'll go. And so we met with Aggie. The Long Island agent. The Long Island agent. medium. Yeah, the Long Island agent. Yeah. And um, it just happened. And she, I started going on auditions pretty mm-hmm. immediately. And that was in like probably middle school in or late city? elementary school. Uh-huh. So my mom- Would schlep you in on the train? Schlep me in on the Long Island Railroad yeah. and schlep me around- and ultimately, it was um, it was cool, you know. I it was it was a lot because I would have to miss school and make stuff up, and I wasn't being obviously homeschooled like a lot of kid actors were. But I wasn't working that much at that time. I was just going on a lot of auditions and getting commercials. But and were stuff. they they weren't at, teaching at the school you were going to? Either of them? They weren't at the no. Oh, okay. My mom was actually teaching at a yeshiva, but then she had to. She didn't have to, but she chose to stop when things started picking up with me yeah because i was coming to la for development deals and stuff and oh, doing for pilot season yeah and doing you so know. what happened so you got the, the the nanny was the first job yeah and then you, you you guys decided to move to la not so i sent in a tape for the nanny and then i found out i got it came out to la shot it it was the coolest thing ever yeah and then finished out high school did you meet fran i did meet fran did you do scenes with her i did all my scenes were with her yeah, she was amazing. And actually, I played two different characters on The Nanny. You guys must have really hit it off. They wanted... You're like a miniature dresser. <laughs> I know. They wanted a mini Fran. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I don't know that that many 12-year-olds were running around being like, <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah. this shit. Yeah. And so when I was 12, I did one. And then when I was 15, I did another one and played a different character. Because they uh-huh. needed a mini Fran again. And they were like, eh, fuck it. Just hire the, the accent? hire the girl that already yeah. did it. Yeah. So, okay, so you do that, you come back, and you're like, I want to go to L.A., mom. And kind of, but I didn't even really know that I but wanted to go to But you go out there LA. once a year for the pilot stuff, and did you do more? It wasn't even once a year. It was like when things would come up. If there was uh, an opportunity, I'd go to out. L.A. If right. I got a commercial. And I'd... your mother would go with you? My mom would go with me. Hmm. My mom would go with me. So then, when it really happened, so most of the stuff was in New York. Like, I did an episode of The Sopranos, and I was just Which doing one? like random. Uh, season one, where the soccer coach is fucking with the girls. Oh. It was like the one episode Tony didn't kill the person. Oh, I'm trying to remember. I, I just played, watched them all. I played Silvio Dante's daughter, Heather Dante. Oh, okay. See, but what's crazy is I did one episode. Yeah. And then... Um, Silvio is Will Steven? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, David Chase, the creator of the show, his daughter dropped out of college. Yeah. And then my character disappeared, and my name was Heather. And then this new... Meadow had a new best friend named Hunter. It was like a sort of a seamless, like, mm, there were two Darrens. Like, it just was this random <laughs> yeah. Yeah. thing that yeah. was a bewitched moment. So and Chase's then I kid just, did it? Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, well. Damn it. Yeah. yeah, I know. But that was that. But that was, again, like, I had so many of these. Like, I was supposed to be this recurring character that was just going to be on The Sopranos. Yeah. And be little Steven's daughter. Didn't and happen. And then it just, I mean, it happened once and then yeah. it didn't happen again. You a Bruce Springsteen fan? I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I, I like what I know of Bruce Springsteen. I like, but I'm not like a following crazy. Well, who are you? Wh- fan. Were you like? Who are you people? Growing up, I loved. Um, I loved James Taylor and Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell. I was into like that singer songwriter. I had a dream about Paul, Paul Simon. Simon. I yeah. just. Lo- I would lose my mind with how Paul. Are you, Simon. I got, I'm trying to. I have to teach myself how to finger pick properly. Oh. I've been fighting that forever. You got to do it. 
I mean, I'm not a great finger picker. I have like my two or three patterns I do, right. and I do them. Right. And I sound, and I can trick you. But if you put, if you go like, play this song in this pattern, it's not like I just can. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I got it. James yeah. Taylor though is ridiculous Great. guitar player. Yes. Yeah. When did you? Oh, Billy Joel. Oh, you're Billy Joel person. Duh. Okay. So I'm that's in a it. Billy Joel no, that's person. It. See, that's the you know, Jersey Springsteen, mm-hmm. Long Island Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. Okay, that's it. That's it. Okay, you're going back and forth to L.A. Then when when does the commitment come? When does the music start happening? Because like you're not. When does the comedy start happening? You're doing bit pieces as a teenager on these shows as the Long Island girl or whatever, but then you kind of come into this musical comedy trip. True. Do- well, I, so I, I was doing all this acting stuff, and then when I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Delaware for one semester. Yeah. But Delaware is set up in a weird way where- like, The school, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. the-, the, the how they do semesters. Yeah. So mid September, mid December, like December tenth or something. Yeah. They go on break till like February tenth. Yeah. So there's a mini mester in there, and me and my mom and my agent Aggie Gold came out to L.A. I met this showrunner, TV creator, Danny Jacobson, who created Mad About You and used to showrun Roseanne sure. Macher, big show yeah. guy. Yeah. And he was like, "Let's make a show." Yeah. And I dropped out of college. And I said, let's make a show, Danny Jacobson, 20th to sign me to a development deal. This they is did? in 1998. How old were you? 18. 18. So you got a development deal. You got a development deal. Quarter of a million? Uh, no, 120, 125. Nice. All yeah. right. And I love you. And uh, so that was, I was a teenager. I'd never obviously seen this kind of money. Who yeah. had? Uh. And I got this deal and I dropped out of college and I was like, let's go. And then the sh- we never even made a pilot. <laughs> like there was a script that maybe got, e- that maybe got messengered. Danny. Yeah. There was a script that maybe got messengered back to my hotel once or twice. And then I was like, I'm not in college. I'm not making this show. Then I went to the TV Guide Awards with my friend Ben, who was on The Nanny. Yeah. And I met Jessica Biel. Yeah. And we she's became- so She's so fucking pretty. Right. We became the- We became instantly friends. It was like we had known each other forever. Are you the same age as- She's a year younger than me. Yeah. And I was 18, she was 17. And it was like we'd, we were the friend we'd always looked for. Yeah. And- I was going to go back to Delaware. This was still all on that break. The development deal, Jess Beal, the whole thing. It crapped out all on that break or you, that you waited for that? Like it didn't, didn't crap out on that break. Right, right, right. That, it was enough for me to be like, well, I'm not going to go back to school. I got this deal. I got all this stuff going yeah. on. And Jess, I was like, well, I don't have anywhere to live. I don't have a car. She's like, well, come live with me. Hmm. So I moved in with her and her family in Calabasas. While she was on Seventh Heaven, yeah, and I was like, "Okay, goodbye, Delaware. Hello, development deal and celebrity life." Yeah, and then nothing happened for however many years. So, so then, okay, so that development deal it made it to script, but didn't you didn't shoot nothing, right. and, and 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 that was over. But after then a they year. re-upped it for they re- I think Jacobson another yeah. Gave you another year on the same deal, uh-huh. or wrote another thing. Same deal. He's like, "We're going to make this show." Yeah, and then we never made the show. So the so first two 20. years I lived in L.A. Living, I had I had like money and I'm living house? at Beale's house and I just was like, but I couldn't. Are you guys go- still friends? Yes, I yeah. mean we're not as close as we sure, were years sure. ago, but um, she's got a whole life and kids and everything. She does. Yeah. Um, and so. Oh, so this is like this is one of those stories where you immediately feel the rush and the weird sort of leveling off of like, oh, this is how show business work. It yep. doesn't. It doesn't just happen. You get. You know. It, it, this is it. What's crazy. Is that this was my third deal? From this Danny Jacobson deal was my third deal. Oh, so where were the other ones? My I was fifteen and I got one. 
at at Warner Brothers with Nell Scovel, who yeah. created. I mean, I know she's, Nell. So I've interviewed her. Yeah. She's so Nell. I did my shtick, my fifteen-year-old stand-up shtick. Yeah. They said there was a breakdown that came out that said we're looking for funny teenage girls. Yeah. I came in. I did my shtick. Yeah. She signed me to do a, to a development deal at Warner Brothers. I came out. I shot this pilot with Alan Thick and all these rad people. I was 15 years old. We shot the pilot, and it was called Prudy and Judy, and it was me. Oh, so that's really when that all happened. So, so you, that was like, I'm a, you know, whoa, yeah, yeah. and a live studio audience, yeah. and I'm the star of this show, and I'm in the auditions. I'm 15 years old in yeah. the auditions with the other girls. Yeah. They're reading against me to see if their chemistry right. works with me. I mean, the, So you're almost a child star. Yes. You're very close yep. to being a child star. And then a couple years later, I got the same deal in Nickelodeon. When oh. I was like seven, 16. So yeah. that was, I think, 14, 15. Then at 16, 17, I got this Nickelodeon deal. Same thing. They were doing a spinoff of the kids' sketch show, and now this. All that. Yeah. All that. So then I had a show called And Now This. All that and now this. Got it was it. going to be the second half right. hour. Rosie O'Donnell was hosting me. This whole thing going. We made the pilot. They aired it. Canned it. They were like, we don't need two so kids' sketch shows. So you already taken two hits. Like, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, my very first gig was a Rice Krispies commercial that I was so, so excited to book. My first big national commercial yeah. when I was 12. And then I see it on TV. I come running home from school because I hear it's on the air. And yeah. I come running. I'm not in the fucking thing. Uh-huh. I shot it. I'm in a leather jacket, dice claying out, eating Rice Krispies. Yeah. And I'm just not in the commercial. Uh-huh. So this this had been going on for, you know, 10 so years. So by the way. time the Jacobson deals <laughs> went south. In, but that the difference was is that. You still had a life <laughs> yeah. at home, you know, and parents, yeah. and like school and stuff. Yeah. But now you've moved out here on That's the deal right. and you're 20 That's and right. it happened again. That's right. Three strikes, you're out. That's right. And oh, we'll- you don't even want to hear the fourth strike. What? The fourth strike makes me still cry. What happened? I book a series when I'm 23 called so Regular Are you still Joe. living with Beal? No, no. no. Beal, um, I, I got my own apartment at this okay, point. Okay, yeah. Was that awkward? Can you leave? Yeah, I asked her if she could head out. I said, I'm going to stay with your parents in Calabasas, but can you sort of take it on the arches, honey? (laughs) Yeah. Cute ass, by the way. And then I smacked Uh it. So when I'm 23, I go, so weird, this still makes me emotional, but I'm 23 and there's a pilot called Regular Joe written by David Lid, who created King of Queens. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is, he loves Leia Remini. He's going to love me. Let's go. I'm in a I'm in a little box. I get it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And so I go and I meet on uh, this thing. I book. So they tell me they're recasting the entire pilot. They're firing the girl that played the daughter and they're looking for someone else and it's being picked up to series, but they're replacing the daughter. And yeah. I book the series. This oh, is yeah. mid-season replacement. Mm. This is not a pilot now. Yep. This is my chance to be on TV on ABC at 8.30. This is, by the it's way, casting. the height of fucking TV. Right. People can't imagine that 8.30 on ABC really means anything anymore. But at this time, this was like, all there was was network television. Yeah. HBO was like, whatever. And so I book this series, and it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. We're about to shoot the pilot. My parents come out. They fly in from New York. And they asked me to come meet with the producers at the at CBS Radford. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Forget my parents in the car. I'm going to show them my dressing room. Yeah. I've taped everything up. I got a rug. I got candles. I got the whole thing. I pull up to my dressing room to drop my parents off before I drive over to the production office. On my life, Mark, a man is paint rolling my name off my parking space. Nah. 100% true. And I'm getting choked up. And then I go and I'm like, what? Maybe they've just moved my dressing room. I don't put two and two together. I go to production. And the reason they've called me there is to fire me. 
So my parents watched my parents, my mother, who gave up her life so I could be an actress, uh, is watching a man paint roll my name off my parking space. Oh boy! I wouldn't. It's such a fake. It's the fakest story I've ever heard. Right. Except that it happened to me. Why? Did, what was the reason? They were re the studio and the network were fifty fifty split on wanting to fire the girl in the first place, and they brought her back. Fuck. The, yep. So then, what did you do? I was so depressed for so long. I was, I was dating um, a musician at the time, and I poured my life into his life. Uh huh. You know that Jason Mraz guy? Uh-uh. Mm, he's a musician guy. I was dating him, and my life became his life when well, I got fired. But when when do you start to take things into your own hands? Not till my 30s. Really? Isn't that fucking so you're, crazy? So you're 23 when that happened? Yeah, 23, 24. And what, the next- And I had just been fired and, and or had these huge highs that then became these monstrous lows. But you're not performing on your own yet? Well, I did stand up as a teenager. Like I, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't pounding the pavement every night, like you know you were. Right. But I, I, because my, my, my mom would have to take me. I was a child. Like I wasn't pounding the pavement as a stand. How old were you? I was young when I. The few times I did Carolines and the few times I did the cellar. What are like on mics? Not even mics. It was like either shows where my agent would set it up or people knew that this oh, younger oh, person was right. coming. So why did that when I brought up teenage comedy, you say you didn't do it? Because I wasn't, I don't like to say that I was this person that was like. Trying to be a comic, right. I I was a little bit, but it was a means, at that time it was a means to an end of like, I loved jokes, I loved shtick, and I was more doing comedy in rooms to get development deals, like in meetings. I wasn't like uh, out. You weren't performing. Yeah, I wasn't out every night, but I was occasionally. And like when I got up there, I had bits and I had shtick and I did it. No guitar, just straight. No guitar, just stand up. Yeah. Um, I didn't learn to play guitar till I was 20. You know that actor, Brad Renfro? He's yeah. no longer he overdosed on heroin. Yeah. He taught me to play guitar. How'd you know him? We did a movie called Deuce is Wild, and it was a Scorsese produced, and everybody said it was a Scorsese movie, but it wasn't. And uh, I was singing, and he was playing guitar, and he was like, you should play guitar. And it just, I mean, not that it hadn't occurred to me. I just was like, uh... Okay, and he yeah. handed me the guitar and taught me a bunch of blues chords. There you go. That's all you need, three well, was, chords. I, at that time, that was yeah. all I needed. Okay, so all this is now in place, and you've failed many times, <laughs> and you're just like being a codependent musician girlfriend. I mean, I just can think of a time where he was on his music video yeah. and needed a bite of a sandwich and just came over to me and we, neither of us spoke yeah. and I just unwrapped the sandwich and put it in his mouth with my hand and then he took a bite and turned around and walked away and went back to the set. That was what I'd become <laughs> at 25. Wow. So you're, 24. So your confidence was all shattered. <laughs> your sense of self was all garbage. But I didn't, I wasn't cognizant of that because he, in his mind, like I was still funny and fun and right. route. Like I wasn't w- walking around like, mo oh, kicking a can, but I wasn't asserting myself and I wasn't trying to do comedy and I was still an actress. I was still going on auditions and trying to do things right but i wasn't making stuff i wasn't writing i wasn't yeah i mean that sort of came i got really back into stand-up when like in my early 30s i was like so for five years you're just going out doing doing waiting for the phone to ring and being bitter that and not being happy for my friends like that yeah, we're working you, and like, like low key. all these shots and they didn't go. And, and just yeah. being like, oh, you know, my friend being on something and then everyone celebrating them and then me, you know, quote, having plans that night, not going in. And I, a friend of mine actually called me out 
in probably one of the most dramatic turns my life has ever taken, one of my best friends called me out like in my probably this was what changed my like my life ultimately was she I was being I was trying to be a musician at like when I was 28 or something and I made this record and it cost me so much fucking money and I had no like I had some money yep I put this album out comedy record nope just music because I was I also have this other career as a songwriter like I was on signed to BMG and I was a published songwriter and I wrote for like when was this Catherine McPhee and Christina Aguilera and stuff uh the late how old are you 2000 at the time like 30 Oh, so this sort of happened after the musician boyfriend stuff. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, I did American Idol when I was something, 27. So then I was like being a songwriter and being a musician and so taking a break the, from acting a little bit. that was the change, bit. right? So like, so after the acting thing and the musician boyfriend, you started to write songs and perform songs yep. in your late 20s. And then yep. you were on American Idol and you were writing songs. You thought like songwriting seemed like a good racket to get into. It was the worst racket to get into. What if you deliver I, one though? If you wrote a song, you're for not a, kidding. Christine but I Aguilera. wasn't. So what ended up happening was that I was like realizing that I was spending all of my time and energy trying yeah. to write writing these songs for, in hopes that somebody would like one, and it just didn't. It was so not fulfilling. How'd your friend call you out? Oh well, she made a, a record of sad piano songs in her closet, and yeah. it cost her zero dollars, and every <laughs> single one of the songs, yeah. Got on Grey's Anatomy, got in movies, got everywhere. And I remember we were all at a party once and everyone was hugging her and congratulating her in some huge movie. Her delicious, beautiful little piano song yeah. was in this monster fucking movie. Yeah. And everyone was freaking out and I think she'd invited me to come see it and I didn't respond. Something yeah. gnarly. Right. And then she said, um, you know, and I was like, she's, and everyone was talking about seeing it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen it yet. You know, then she just sent me an email like a couple days later and was like, hey man, uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding crazy, but I don't know what to even how to proceed here with this friendship because I can feel how not happy you are for me. Yeah. And it's repugnant. Yeah. I can't I can't I'm having trouble being around you when I know that what you feel toward me, when all I feel toward you is love. Like when you were on American Idol, I changed I like I did a grassroots campaign for us all to change our names on Facebook to your name, just so your name would be everywhere. All I've ever done is support. Oh, I can cry again. Yeah. All I've ever done is support you and love you. And you casually can't watch the fucking episode of Grey's Anatomy where I have one thing going on. And I was so disgusted with myself. And I didn't even, I, I wasn't cognizant of that I was even doing it. Yeah. And, uh, and my heart's pounding. And I just was like, oh God, I, what happened to me? And I like said, I'm coming to your house right now. Please open the door and she opened the door and it was like a high a hug fest and cry fest and she was like i can't believe that you were this responsive to this i thought you were just gonna say that's not true fuck you i am happy for you you just can't tell but you're showing up right now and that's what i kind of wanted you to do and we fixed it but i was like a rotting shitty version i've been trying to do the fucking thing for 20 years yeah i couldn't get any traction yeah, i know that and I, I know you do <laughs> and i couldn't and i just couldn't fucking enjoy other people's success yeah because you so hated yourself I fucking hated myself yeah and i was so disappointed in myself you can't get out of it though when you're in it and you try to be polite you know and it's like i don't know well it's good that you were able to well, I was baby shaking out of it. It was like, unless. Oh, I know, but that friendship meant enough to you to do mm-hmm. that. 
You know, like if you didn't have that, like if you didn't have people that loved you or that people that you know tr- you trusted and loved, I mean, you could have stayed there. I would have. St- I mean, I don't know how else I would have gotten out because I couldn't see myself. Yeah. Because what's tricky about being a comic or being us is that we're in when we're in this fucking craggy state. Yeah. It's funny, and people Kinda. still. I know, but I mean that like. People still like you, and it's not like I was walking around and everyone was like, well, she turned into a real cunt. Right. It was just when I would like fucking stab someone really slightly yeah. or just act out in a way that like right. was really showing my true cards as right. opposed to being right. a loving human with an open heart, which is what I want to be instead of like an angry, craggy you know, yeah. there's not enough space for everyone. Bitter, yeah, yeah, and you, bitter, and you, and bitter you, is the word, right? And then you res, you you resign yourself to it, and you think there's a truth to it, and you know, you I guess you can make that funny. I mean, there's an intensity to it, but it's not. You know. I don't even mean to make it funny. I just mean like inherently, you're funny. I'm right. funny, so it's like when you're doing the thing that's I'm like not that funny when I'm bitter. Like, maybe you, not you, when but you're bitter, but, but I just like mean people craggy. like. But but that's what you're saying when you start kind of poking people like that you, you know how to do it instinctively so like there is that moment where it's funny but it's sort of like that was a little much mm-hmm. wasn't it? like i was always good at the little much me thank you so you hurt course. people and it sucked and so after, but i don't i didn't have that many i can't think of any other real times in my life where something i think i'm using the wrong term but changed on a dime like i was literally yeah. a craggy angry not happy for people and the next day yeah. i had rainbow shooting out my asshole i was like after she called you it out. was like a new it was like it was like a film what, got lifted off my eyes but what was the american idol experience that you just didn't you lost it was another it was another epic high and epic epic low where uh, they uh the hundred and eighteen thousand people tried out that year yeah and i made the top 36 yeah but instead of doing a twenty top twenty four and then one person going home each week, yeah, excuse me, they did a top thirty six and then they sent twenty four people home at once and went directly to a top twelve. So I was in that massive chunk of people that went home. Ugh. It was all, but I had given at that point. I auditioned for it in August and I didn't go home until March. And I was like sequestered and I was like in another planet right. for eight months. And then they owned me from the March, from the date of my live show for 12 months. Yeah. So I was owned by American Idol for 18 months. Yeah. What at the time felt like nothing, but I'll tell you something, more weird, little, fun, magical shit has come from that than you can imagine. Like I'm still on meetings and like this, some guy that runs some, some enormous company was like, I, we're, you're here because your name came across my desk and I loved you on Idol and there, we couldn't do anything with your mouth on, on, like it was a singing competition and you were like roasting Seacrest to his face and he didn't notice me. We had to edit everything out. And I knew at the time, like this fucking kid. And then you got on glow and that was fun. And now you're here and up for this other thing. But this guy was like a PA editor, low-level guy on American Idol who remembered me all that. So it's yeah, like yeah. these weird little... Sure. You've hung in there. I've... So you, everything I've... changed. You became a good person. That friend is still your friend? Yeah, she's one of my best friends still. <laughs> hmm? Let's shout her out. Her name's Faye Wolf. Yeah? And she's a beautiful musician. So from that point on, what? that's when you start focusing on music more and doing comedy. Comedy, actually. Yeah. I, at that similar time, my friend... Um, also great name, Jess Saddleberger. Uh, we would always do bits and she was like, why don't you do stand up? And I yeah. was like, I, speaking of telling yourself stories, I'd always dated stand up comics 
I know you went out with Kyle. <laughs> yes, yeah. Kyle Dunnigan. I had always dated comics, and I, I was like, I don't know. It feels really negative. It feels really yeah. like it's not. Oh, you're, real, you're real born again yeah. love person. I huh? was like, well, it just didn't feel like a happy thing to do. Uh-huh. I wasn't even born again lovey. What I was doing was telling myself stories and giving myself what seemed like rational excuses to not do the thing I should so fucking clearly do. Oh, yeah. That I was scared of. Right. So instead of being like, I'm scared and I have to start from the beginning. Who the fuck and says I don't, that? No, right. So yeah. I was like, I don't know. It's negative. It's dark yeah. in there. I was at this club the other night and I would use some comic's name that I saw who was like so drunk, which is true. So drunk, passed out on the bar. Yeah. And like people were fans of his and he would just like lift his head and be like. Bruv. And then somehow he'd get on stage and do a perfectly cogent set. And you were like, like, that's not for you. And right? I was like, no, this is. But I. But again, that didn't have to be my experience. I was just writing this story to keep my heart safe so I didn't get hurt by trying to do stand-up and failing or whatever it was. Yeah. And so she was like, you really should do it. And then I joined this writer's group, this like stand-up writer's group where you get together with 10 comics Yeah. and you just go up in a mic at, at a mic and like yeah. in this room and then people just pitch each other jokes. Yeah, yeah. And it became so positive and so community and so loving oh, and nice. so fucking cool. And that was when, and there I was doing stand-up and then people in that group were like coming to see me do sort of straight music yeah and they were like how are you not doing musical comedy and i was like i don't know because i kind of roll my eyes at it right i kind of i know i kind of was like i don't really when i see a comic with a guitar i'm like okay let's see this hacky bullshit but i think but then you look at jack black and you don't feel that way or you look at when adam sandler does it and there's ways to do it that are not if you don't do parody yeah, and I yeah, don't. Right. And I don't. And I, I know mean, you open for me. So, you That's know. Fun. I'll do that anytime. I love yeah. it. And um, that crowd was so delightful. They're nice. Damn it. Um, And so then I started doing musical comedy, and then it was like, oh, this is not only is it this cool, unique thing that separates you from everybody else, but it just so, it so just clicked. Yeah. And. Now that's pretty much my jam. I hardly do any straight stand up anymore. Sure. Just schlep that guitar around. So what happened was I um I, I because of Glow and then I'm making this um uh animated preschool musical series with Kristen Bell. It's oh. called Do Ray and Me. Oh yeah. And we're these um it's three singing birds who are best friends who go on this musical adventure every episode and we're doing a fifty two episode first season. And so and I'm EPing it and I'm uh, writing all the music for it and voicing it, and so I'm it, I'm I'm not the thing that had to take a back seat currently while making this show was not going to the store or the improv and like right. trying to do two shows a night. I yeah. just so that part of it, it was the one thing I could go like, okay, that, that can take a back seat today sure. for now, yeah, because I can't. It's just because it's also such it's such a nighttime game. I've oh, got yeah. shit to do. Well, I mean, that, but that's exciting, doing animated stuff and writing original music for it and characters. Hell yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing you're doing now, and Glo- we're just sort of waiting on Glow. We're waiting on Glow. And you're great Glo- on Glow. We've had a good time. You're great on Glow. You don't annoy me as much. Yeah, it's true. You don't annoy we me. We love each other. It's I okay. love you so much. Yeah. You don't annoy me as much either. I, you never actually annoyed <laughs> How me. How could I annoy you? You're the annoying one. That's crazy. And that's, How is that crazy? It's true that I'm the annoying one. I, I don't deny that. But you're the craggy one. Okay. So you don't annoy me, but you're like, you know, I'll be avoidant. Uh-huh. I, you know, I think it's an interesting thing with you because I don't know if you're going to, like, when I see you, I if I'm going to get a hug, a uh-huh. head nod, or be treated like the person with the fucking petition outside Whole Foods. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I can't. I I never know what. Like what's Marin going to do? Hug me? I need give me a consi- head nod. I know. Okay, I need some consistency. Like it shouldn't be that that kind of. Uh, you shouldn't have to feel that just because it's only based on my day. Right, but I. It's not like I don't. I don't feel the good news about that is, is that I don't. No, I do care because I love you, but yeah. I don't feel like. Fear or negativity around it. it doesn't have I just to do with go you. like, I yeah. don't know what this is going to be. All right. I like to tell the story really quick before I go that when I, season one, mm. when I would see you in the morning, I go, Hi, Mark. And you go, It's a lot. <laughs> and all I did was say, Hi, Mark. And I'd say to you, You know, in the time it took you to say it's a lot, you could have just said, Good morning, you fuck. And then I would walk. <laughs> that was like our first interaction ever. It's a boundary thing. I love you. I love you. All right, are we good? Are we done? I, I, it's up to you. It's your show, and I'm so fucking happy to be here. Thank you for having I me. I think by we the covered way. a lot of stuff. We did, and we're done. That was Jackie Tone and me talking like we talk. Glow is on streaming on Netflix. Three seasons. We'll be back again next year. And now I will play some droning guitar for you. I saw Hank!